You know, in Israel, by the way, hummus is a uh, traditional part of foreplay for some people. It's like, you know, rappers eating sushi off of naked women. We do the same thing with tahina. Hello, Jews and other folks. This is Unorthodox, a weekly podcast from Tablet Magazine. I'm Mark Oppenheimer, joined as ever by Tablet Deputy Editor Stephanie Butnick. Hi. And senior writer Leah Leibovitz. Ahalan wasahalan. You know, I move between the Leibovitz and the Leibowitz because you've said it both ways. And I wonder if we could get a ruling on that, Leo. It's an affectation either way, because uh, back home it would be the Leibovitz. But for some reason that, that can't really hold, so I'm what, like what, a what deracinated. Is, what does Annie do? Annie, I think, is Leibovitz, right? No, she's Leibowitz. And, oh, she, has a, she has a V. She spells like you, I think. But now that we're here, like... Liel or Lyle, like Leal, like people have a lot of questions about your first name. My dad calls what does you it mean Lyle. Again? Like why? Why do I have that name? My God, right? Uh, it means I have a God. My father wanted to name me Lee after Lee Marvin, uh, who is the <laughs> greatest American actor of all time, and my mother wanted to name me Eliyahu after the rabbi, some rabbi grandfather, and so um, you know they either did too much drugs or not enough drugs, and they not combined enough. the two. Together. But we're going to anglicize it to Leah Leibovitz to... To Lyle Leibovitz. To Lyle uh, Lee, L-E-I-G-H. <laughs> You'll be like director Mike Lee, who's probably a Jew. Lyle Lee. Our Jewish guest this week is National Football League Jew, Jeff Schwartz. And our Gentile of the week is etiquette expert, Patricia Fitzpatrick. So, um... Lee, <laughs> Lee Lee, Lyle Lee, and Stephanie Butnick, what's new? Have you had a good week? Yeah, I had a great week. Yeah, what was the highlight? The highlight actually hasn't happened yet, but it will happen between this <laughs> recording and it airing, which is that I'm going to see Hamilton finally. We should know a musical uh, which Stephanie has somehow avoided. I've avoided She's all She's not heard yeah. a single song. I'm, I'm going in cold, and I think I it's actually really have to amazing. confess, I don't think I have either. I couldn't recognize but a Hamilton song. Who are song you if people? What is life like? How, how sad. sad is it? Lonely. Right. Have you seen Hamilton, Leo? No, but I, I could sing every word to every song because, you know. Just by osmosis. I don't know. I want it to be Why? pure my first yeah, it's a, time. It's a very virginal. I, I don't want to spoil it for you, but I, you know how it ends, right? There's a duel, This right? is fabulous. Yeah, this is fabulous because um, you're going to see Hamilton, and you know what I saw this week? I saw Sully with Tom Hanks as Captain Chesley Sullenberger. Did you see it Sunday? Because my parents also saw it Sunday. I can't, I can't remember. I think and I saw, of course, the no, perennial question, did you did pay, you pay for your ticket? <laughs> <laughs> no, I bet you used I another did. one of those coupons. <laughs> Can I tell you something? I did. I used one of the coupon, the last free coupon I got for when Inside Out, In and Out, Inside Out, what was that Inside kid's out. movie? Inside Out. For when Inside Out, when the projector wasn't working and they gave us 10 free coupons. Okay, technically I used the some last of those one. coupons were for your children, right? Yeah. But, but you're using like them That's yourself. another ethical so question. They <laughs> Is Mark depriving his children of entertainment and education? So I decided, so my wife, so Sid and, and our daughter Ellie were having a mommy-daughter uh, baked potato and movie night, so I had to leave the house. So I called my friend Liam, not a Jew, and I said, let's go to the Liam. movies. And yeah, Liam. All that, Liam and I, all that was out was Sully. And I mean, Tom Hanks as yet another hero. It's like all he does. And the movie's, the movie's atrocious, but like pretty soon we're going to be, you know, Tom Hanks is the heroic tractor driver who, you know, saves Look, the scarecrow. Do everything. From, Could you imagine can the do pressure everything. on that guy? He must like, you know, strangle prostitutes on his time off just to blow off steam. Could you <laughs> Wait, imagine? Tom Hanks you, or Tom Chesley Hanks. Sullenberger? You're Tom Hanks. You walk down the street and everyone's like, oh my God, you're exactly the savior so I've been waiting for. who's the bigger for. hero, Sully or Tom Hanks? Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks. And meanwhile- I don't know. Sully actually did something. Stephanie, you might not remember this. It took 23 when, seconds. I mean, back Tom when Hanks and I were made kids, big. Tom Hanks was the star of Bosom Buddies. Yes. <laughs> and then and Splash. He had that, and Splash. And then he had that great five-episode arc big. as Ned, Elise Keaton's drunk brother on um, Family Ties. Like, Correct. he used to be a big clown. And I don't. I guess it was with Philadelphia that he became a hero. An actor. I think it just shows how, like, easy it is for, like, you know, a white male actor to just, like, grow into these really, really, like, amazing roles. As he ages. And it only gets you know easier and easier for him to clinch these hero roles. The it's because white male actors don't faint from pneumonia and fall on their secret service Ooh, guys. Mark is getting there. political. Going so Isn't political. it amazing that basically the, the criteria for becoming president of the United States are currently now, at, can you stand up straight for half a day? If the answer is <laughs> yes, you could be president. You it's win. Amazing. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> So that's news of the Methodist uh, with pneumonia. Now let's have a little bit of news of the Jews. 
We bid farewell this week to Greta Friedman, the 92-year-old Austrian Jew who claimed to be the nurse being kissed in that famous Eisenstadt photo of a sailor kissing a woman in Times Square after the news of Japan's surrender in World War II. Yet the claim is surrounded by controversy. Eleven men have claimed to be the sailor, and three different women have claimed to be the nurse. So it could be that Greta Friedman is just a big liar and not actually uh, the subject of a famous photograph. What's more, contemporary viewers of the photograph have often noted that um, a picture of a man grabbing an unsuspecting woman and forcing her to be deep tongue kissed by him is actually not like maybe that's not a super heroic act. Like maybe it used to be so what... romantic, and now we're like, wait a second. She Could doesn't know Stephanie? him. She was just standing there. She didn't ask <laughs> to be in this picture. I don't know that in 1945 it was any more, any less rapey than it is right now. And, you know, look, to be fair, there was some bar not far from Times Square where some man grabbed some man and tongued him right after the news of Japan's surrender. But where's that picture? That? That Tom picture, Hanks. That is... <laughs> Tom Hanks as the soldier who grabbed the woman. In why That movie is going to be made, and when it is, it will be made with Tom Hanks. According to a story on Glenn Beck's website, which was then weirdly taken down, not the website, but the story, Mel Gibson recently told him that the Jews stole his movie The Passion of the Christ, as if we would ever want it. According to Beck, Gibson said to him, quote, and then some Jewish people, I guess rabbis or something, I didn't get into it, somebody stole a copy of the movie before it was shown to anybody. And then they did a deal with the New York Times with all these rabbis trashing him, that's Gibson, as an anti-Semite. And Gibson said, I couldn't believe it. Nobody was really upset that these guys stole the movie. So apparently he thinks the reason Jews were mad about the movie is because we were whipped into a frenzy by a bunch of rabbis who'd stolen a copy of it. I mean, first we kill Christ and then we steal the movie about Christ. That's just <laughs> when will it end? When will it end? When will it ever end? Enough with this violence. Do you kind of feel, though, that... You know, Mel Gibson, did he open the door a little bit for the whole Trump phenomenon? I mean, I feel like when I was growing up, any whiff of anti-Semitism in public culture got you kind of banished for a while. I feel that the 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 opprobrium was so strong. And now we have this guy who gets to keep making movies, even though he's a total Jew hater. And now we have a presidential candidate who hires a guy to be his campaign manager who once said they didn't want to send his daughters to school with a bunch of whiny Jews. If this show is any indication, like we're pretty whiny. I think Mel Gibson sort of didn't open the door to Trump, but he was the one of the first public figures, at least in my memory, because I remember like the last five years um, since I was 12, um, to sort of to have it be like, oh, crazy Mel, like he's he's a, he's an anti-Semite. Like what will he say next? And sort of the, the more things that happened where he was just sort of saying just absurd things to anyone, like even when he called that cops, you know, like he he's sorry. Right. Yeah, just, You're he, saying even when he called the cop? I'm not going to say what he called her because I, I think it was offensive. But, I think you should but say he, he, he just sort of became crazy uncle in a way that like we we've sort of let him slide in a way like oh he's just wild and like I mean he's definitely bad and you know obviously not as bad as his dad but like he we've just sort of let him slide a little bit like oh well, what'll he say next what'll he do next and it's like we do the same thing with Trump like oh you know he's just he's just crazy uncle. And, 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 it's like it's become the crazy uncle excuse in Mel's which is, defense well, you know one of these one of these men is a is a paid entertainer. Uh, who is paid uh, a lot to look crazy on film throughout that's a Donald very Trump. long career of looking crazy on film. And the other is Mel Gibson. No, you know, that's what we love Mel Gibson for doing. So when Mel Gibson behaves like Mel Gibson, we're like, oh, look, look, look at him. But he really has such little commercial viability now, I think. I mean, he's now trying to promote like a World War II film that I think is actually getting good reviews. And so like- Is what Tom he... Hanks in it? <laughs> Probably he should be. I get that this was like an off the record conversation. This wasn't supposed to be published, but like he's still sort of like harping on this Jew thing. And I think he could like needs to take a break on it. Like that's we're still talking material. about Passion of the Christ again. Like we're still talking about Mel Gibson, the anti-Semite. I think he generally believes it. But he I needs think... to move on to the homos and the Muslims. Enough with the Jews <laughs> already. Mel, Mel Gibson. Can I but just you say, know that... I know this is not popular, but I really freaking love that guy. Why? Mel Gibson? Because he is the classic embodiment. <laughs> I, I'm actually happy that he turned out to be this raging anti-Semitic asshole. Because to me, that just brings the 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 sort of, you know, level of depravity of his art to this kind of classic. It's just a distillation of it. It's like he's so real. It's like his, cra his craziness crazy. method acting. That's exactly goes so right. deep. Like he went too you, far. He like went through, he went around the swing. Like He embodied the process. Right. He crossed over to the other he side. He's, you want your anti-Semites to be 200 proof crazy I do. is what you're saying. Yeah. I, I want everything to be 200 proof. 
<laughs> it is true. There is something. I mean, I prefer him to the weird kind of like Trump hangers on who are like, no, 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 we love the Jews. We just we didn't mean to retweet it. There's that him kind to of the, you know, the shiftiness. John Foster Dulles, like, oh no, we're just up. Uh, you know, we do not take kindly to the Hebrew persuasion. Like, if you're right. going to hate me, just, you know, call me a ridiculous name. Make Sugar a movie tits. about right. how Sugar tits? <laughs> Stephanie said it first. Right. Uh, but I said it to Leo. That's what it was. Yeah, like, it's taking it back. And you call them in further. <laughs> you know, call me sugar tits. And So wait, Mel Gibson gave us sugar tits, and our listeners have given us shit waffle and douche canoe. I mean, it just gets, it's like real Gibson territory, isn't it? This is what he nailed down. <laughs> and that tits. is why I will always love him. Speaking of high Anglophone, classy anti-Semitism, let's move to England. Here's a great story. In a 2014 speech at the United Nations, Emma Watson or Hermione Granger, maybe it's Hermione Granger playing Emma Watson. I can't remember which of them's the person and which is the character. How do you really think Hermione Granger might be the person and not the Harry Potter character? I actually do. In my defense. British names can be so fucked up. Yes, why not? Can you say like, oh, Hermione Granger, professor at Cambridge College of Agriculture, of course. There's the great biographer, I think it's a Virginia Wolf and others named Hermione Lee, who teaches it all. They, they name people shit like that in England. They I do. know, but when I your mean, alternative were... is Emma Watson, you're like, hmm. I, I don't know. Anyway, yeah. so in 2014, which Hermione, is the muggle? Hermione Watson gave a speech at the United Nations in which she quoted the line, if not me, who? If not now, when? Now, every Jew who's ever taken one mediocre adult ed class at the JCC knows that that quotation is from Hillel the Elder from the Mishnaic text Pirkei Avot, Chapters of the Fathers. Now, last week, Ivanka Trump, Jewish Ivanka Trump, posted the quotation to her Instagram account, and she credited not Hillel, but Emma Watson, which means that forevermore in Google, there are going to be Seniors writing term papers where at the beginning they put the little quotation, little like epigraph, if not me, who, if not now when, dash Emma Watson. Like Hillel will be the he'll be on page eight before you know it's from him. Let me tell you, I think Ivanka Trump got her conversion at Trump University. <laughs> Leo, you've had some interesting mail lately. And I'm gonna read one of the letters that we got. Okay. Go ahead. Dear Mark Stephanie Liel and the rest of the unorthodox podcast peeps. I don't normally write letters to podcast hosts, but after listening to the episode, Teach Your Children Well, I had to write in. I had to respond to listener Emily, who wrote to ask Liel to stop talking or mansplaining or whatever. I love you all, but I have to say I love Liel the most. I love Israel. I love Israelis. And Liel is one giant hot Israeli. (laughs) Sorry. Damn. Sorry. This is very true. Dana voice. While I admit that I do lean in the same direction as him with regard to politics and Israel, I find myself agreeing, laughing, and being influenced by the things Liel says. I love it when he busts into Arabic or Hebrew, and when he uses that Israeli accent, oi, my knees go weak. I could listen to him read a cookbook in that accent all day long. So please, Liel, keep on talking, joking, and sharing all the thoughts in your lovely mind. Please, please, please keep up the phenomenal podcasts. I'm going to keep on using my Harry's razor just in case Liel and the rest of you ever make it to Chicago for a show. Best Dana in Chicago. I just got to say, first of all, Whew. we've been wondering. I know people have been wondering, can women it's use Harry's razors? It's in here. And the, yeah, the answer is yes, they can. Liel, she thinks you could read a cookbook and it would be hot. In my Israeli accent. Dana, this one's for you. You take two cups of well-drained chickpeas. You mash them slowly with your fingers. You pour in luscious, sensuous half a cup of tahina with some oil, quarter cup extra virgin olive oil, some peeled garlic that you mash and mash and mash. You squeeze the lemon, you mix all together until you get the best hummus in the world. I feel profoundly uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> now, I mean, the question that is... That was deeply erotic. I, I question, really want what? hummus, though, right now. <laughs> I do too. You know, in Israel, by the way, hummus is a uh, traditional part of foreplay for some people. Like, like how? Do soccer, I, I want to know? Soccer players... Uh, this is completely true. Some completely this is a true. thing, or at least was when when I grew up. They would sort of smother it on the naked bodies of their girlfriends and then lick it off, which is the most revolting fucking Wait, you thing know? you could I feel do like to that another was in human that, like, being. Zohan movie. 
The Zohan is a documentary, basically. <laughs> it's a complete, accurate description of life. Upcoming live shows, people, this week, September 19th, we will be at the Jewish Community Center of New Haven with Colin McEnroe and Lieutenant Governor Nancy Wyman. We'll be debuting a new song in honor of Lieutenant Governors. For tickets, go to jewishnewhaven.org slash events. We have upcoming shows in Boston, Toronto, and West Palm. (laughs) I was going to get there. The Boston show will be featuring former Jew congressman Barney Frank. It's going to be amazing. If you thought he was indiscreet when he was in office— Wait until Just we get him. Wait until he reads you out his of recipe in an erotic <laughs> New England right. voice. And Stephanie, what have I yet to pimp? Cayuga, Canuga. He still can- hasn't happened. We'll be hearing about it until it does. Someone Canuga better is go. Like, is like Mark's Neverland. It's not a real place. It's like Nirvana. <laughs> it's just in his imagination. You go to Canuga and tell everyone's us. Tell us when there. it is, Mark. I want to start my countdown. Movies October's- don't cost money and. <laughs> <laughs> You drink one gin and tonic and go to bed. It's October sixteenth through eighteenth at Canuga Conference Center. I will be at the Lansing League Conference with other people talking about religion and politics. It's a it's a scenic, it's a idol by the lake in the mountains of North Carolina. Who wouldn't want to go to Canuga? You guys, I have great news about our New Haven show. What's that? I think Elise B is gonna be there. My mother. Oh my god. And Ben Cohen. My family. Wait a second. My mother might be there. What? I, I feel very left out right now. <laughs> How soon can your mom fly in? Could some could some listener come in and be my mother for the night? You might have a mom, she might be the bomb, but ain't nobody got a mom like mine. Her love's till the end, she's my best friend. Ain't nobody got a mom like mine. She's my world, she's my All right. Uh, special Jewish guest this week, the National Football League's own Jeff Schwartz. He is a professional football player who's played for the Giants, along with his brother Mitch Schwartz, who is now an offensive tackle for the Chiefs. Is that right? Yes. And you are between teams, am I right? I am between teams, yes. Is, that, is that a euphemism? Is that like a nice way of saying... Uh, I don't... I'm, I'm unemployed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a nice way of saying I'm unemployed, yes. Okay. So before we go any further, we're going to do a test. Are you ready? Yes. Oh, say can you see? He didn't stand. He didn't stand. This is this is Capernick territory. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you don't stand either, do you? No, I do stand. You do All stand. The time, yes. Let's just get this out of the way. Colin, thumbs up, thumbs down. I think it's redundant to say he has the right to do that. Um, but if he wants to use his platform uh, for how he sees fit, you know, he should be allowed to do that. I don't really have an opinion on whether or not he's right or wrong, but. You know, we have these great platforms. We're able to do things with our brand and stuff. And if that's the way he wants to do it, then, you know, more power to him. Like you, do you know him, by the way? No. No. But like, if you met him, you'd still shake his hand. You'd give him the, like, the bro shake. You'd, yeah. Like, you'd, get, you'd be cool. I, I try to stay out of social issues that I'm not fully 100% involved in. What guys do off the field doesn't really bother me as long as they're ready to play on Sundays. We will talk about it from time to time, but, you know, he can get pretty fiery if we get in those subjects in the locker room, just like any workplace, I would assume. Now, I like to talk a lot. Uh, we do talk politics. Uh, a couple of us kind of do it together. Yeah, that's, little, that's little really discussion it. group. Yeah, that's, a, that's about it. And uh, But I love discussion. I love talking about issues. I love um, discourse. I think we've lost some of that in our society now with social media. There's like you either on one side or the other side. You can't be in the middle. You know, you can't you either like what Colin Kaepernick did or you don't. You can't just be in the middle and say, I like this, I like that. I like certain parts of it, I don't. And, and that's a problem, but we, we can get that another time. So we're, we're here to talk about a lot of things. One of them is your book. You and your brother have a book coming out. It's called Eat My Schwartz, Our Story of NFL Football, Food, Family, and Faith. That's a nice, it's a Spaceballs reference. It is, it, it yes. Is. Are, you, are you a Mel Brooks fan? Are you a Spaceballs fan? I have seen that. I did not see it, though, until college. My, my college roommate was like, have you seen Spaceballs? And I said no, and he was very upset with me. So we watched it right away. You're playing, you too much time practicing, yeah. on the, not yeah, enough time watching exactly, yes. old, old movies. So what's the book about? So we're the first Jewish brothers in the NFL since 1923, so that's that's pretty impressive, obviously. Have there been other Jews in the meantime? Yeah, there's Jews. Like, no, who's the Jewish no. Sandy, who's the NFL Sandy Koufax? No one, really. No, like, we've no. never had a really that, good that, player. That would be you, Jeff. It would be me. <laughs> um, I do, yeah, but I, I play on Yom Kippur, that's the difference. Um, 
I don't think there's been like a, a Sandy Koufax to the NFL. Um, like, can yeah. you name three Jewish NFL players but si- since the last brothers to play and the current brothers of which you're one? Well, so at a time, I was training with Gabe Creamy. He played a couple years. He's, he's Jewish. Um, I played with Sage Rosenfels, who's Ju- sort of Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds Jewish. Yeah. He's not, he's not though, really. Um, he's got a Jewish last name. Taylor Mays. He was at USC. He plays. He might still be around the NFL. Um, there's a Jewish player named Taylor Mays. Yeah. That's wow. Um, Jay Fiedler. The oh, sure. Yeah. Oh, uh, Ali Marpet just got drafted two years ago as offensive lineman for, for Tampa Bay. But like in the history of the NFL, you, one would struggle across time to make a minion. Like it is really. Yeah. Oh, uh, <laughs> yes. Yes, for sure. <laughs> we so can't now, make a brother, minion now. Your brother is a couple years younger, right? Yes. He's also a couple pounds lighter. Yes. <laughs> what, what was growing up like for that poor guy? Um, <laughs> did he even get to eat at dinner or oh, <laughs> did he have to so fight we you had for that? A, uh, my parents, one joke we like to say about why we're so big, because my, my mom's 5'10-ish, maybe a little shorter. My dad's 6'1", so they're not like huge individuals. But we got this industrial freezer in my garage, like a huge, huge freezer. And my parents ordered meat and poultry and fish. <laughs> like, uh, that, that's, like we didn't, we didn't go out and buy that every day, you know, or every week it was ordered. And so we get six months at a time of food. My brother- They were just looking for a bargain. They wanted a good deal, right? My brother, of course. My brother and I um, would go through that in two months, six months worth of food (laughs) in two months. So there was, there was, we never had a shortage of food in our household. Uh, My brother though, he was always like considerably smaller than me growing up. And then he just got caught up at certain points. So yeah, I beat him a lot in like sports. We never physically fought, but I beat him in sports a lot. He just was smaller than me. Then eventually he caught up and, and now look at him. Were there any other siblings? No, just us. My dad jokes that if he would have known, he would have had three more offensive linemen and made himself a whole <laughs> offensive line. So, but I noticed, according to your stats, you're 6'5", 320. That's Mitch. Oh, that's Mitch. What are you? I'm 6'6", 340. Okay, so so the now Liel, before he started dropping weight in training for the, the marathon, was, Liel, you were what, 6'5", 350? 6'5", 357. 357. You topped out at 357. Yeah. So what what... In an NFL lineup, where where do you put a six five three fifty seven guy? How well? Who's very know? angry? I should say, like very really angry. genuinely maybe, angry. Maybe, can you move? You got a little lateral quickness to you. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, you can play offensive line. They probably would want you like at three forty, three thirty though. <laughs> <laughs> you know, to be fair, we're gonna be honest about and it. And what are you now, you're, Liel? You're that's, that's two trips to the freezer right there. But I could do it. <laughs> yeah. What are you down to? Like two forty? I'm down to about two forty. That's Dude. extremely impressive. Yeah. Every week we good, sit here, he's good for just you. shrinking. Yeah, but his NFL prospects have just shriveled. To yeah, nothing. and his anger but, has elevated. But yeah. My anger has. Yeah. So I have a question. What's the difference emotionally playing football versus playing basketball or, or baseball? Do you feel different? Oh yeah. You before you play a football game, even. I mean, more so than the NFL. Like, you have to put your mind in a place that's nothing like any other sport because you know you're about to be in a physical combat. I mean, you're violence for three hours. So you have to get your mind in a place that's accepting that's going to happen versus other sports, you don't have to do that, right? So I, I went to a World Series baseball game. I, I got to go uh, on the field for batting practice, and these guys were just loose, like having fun. You know, They're not about to go physically beat each other. So... There's a mindset, and everyone does it differently. How do you do it? I have a routine. I go out there, I warm up on my own, come back in. We warm up as a team. I come back, you know, we come back in. And then I try not to get too jacked up about the game until I actually step on the field because I found when I was younger, I get really excited and I get tired earlier. So I just stay calm, I laugh, I joke around. And then as soon as like we go on the field to run the field, it's like it's go time. Okay, question for you. So when you go into like a Yom Kippur service yeah. and you know you've got like a few hours ahead of you, yeah. how do you psych yourself up for that? <laughs> for, for that, um, <laughs> you just do it. I don't know. There's another way to, to – I fasted a couple of years ago. I was injured, so I was able to do it. And the last three hours were tough. Were you yeah, hangry? They're, they're a beast. Do you, do you know the worst, part about, the worst part about that time is when you finish the service like 30 minutes early, you have to sit there and wait for the shofar to blow. Yes. And you're just you're like, the rabbi's just like, you're just chilling and you're waiting for the sun to go down. And you're sitting there like, why didn't you just finish? <laughs> or, or, why didn't or the canter two, stretch it out or, a little bit? Or longer. two, or they wait, like the, they leave the last five minutes, like they stop, they, they're done 30 minutes early. Then they leave the last, but then they realize they've like left parts out and they speed up and you just, and then it's over sunset. You're sitting there like, dude, it's, it's 30 minutes past sunset. Can we like go I eat? got bagels waiting yeah, for me. I should be three Do pounds of locks in. hate sitting behind you in temple? I never asked them. I assume so. 
They're not going to tell him. I've never had the conversation. You mentioned earlier that you do play on Yom Kippur. Yes. Was that now? Of course, there is the great Jewish sports legend about how Sandy Kovacs yeah. wouldn't pitch on Yom Kippur in the World Series. Um, was that something that people were expecting of you? Do, 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 was there a yes. hope that like the Schwartz brothers will? You so, know, will they Kofax? Won't they? Right. Will they so, Kofax? Yeah. There's a there's a little differences between Kofax and, and what and us. Kofax, best player on the Dodgers, best player in baseball. He can get away with missing a game. He also pitched three more games at World Series, so he didn't like lose a start necessarily. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like he would have pitched three games anyways. So he still pitched three games, um, but obviously, it, you know, he he did what he he thought was right. I only have 16 games a season, and I only play for a certain amount of years, and it's hard for me to to miss a game for Yom Kippur. Well, it's interesting. I think your dad says in the book that he set sort of an impossible standard for athletes. The Kovacs did. Yeah, Kovacs did. Yeah, Yeah, of course. He looms large and you expect this. It's hard to to live up to that, but I'm okay with my decision. I have no regrets that I play Yom Kippur. How many more years do you think you have in you if you get picked up by a team? How many, how long's? This will be nine, nine and 10. I'll be done. Okay. okay. You start. I'm 30 now. You start feeling different. So in about two years, you're going to get, you're going to retire and get really religious. You're going to make up for all of that. Your yeah. beard is going to grow. <laughs> oh, I had a, I had a great beard. This is obviously not a visual podcast. I had a great beard. I mean, it's not, it's trimmed. Now I can show you a photo. Like it was, I grew it for like months. Yeah, but months. now you're on awesome. TV. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta look, look sharp. Good. Now, Jeff, your, your marital status. I see a ring on your finger. Yes. Married. Two kids, yes. Jewish girl? Uh, no, but our kids are being raised Jewish. You're being raised Jewish. And your brother's still looking? No, he's he's engaged. He's engaged. Yes. And, and so, like, are there expectations from the Jewish community? Do you ever feel them? Like, if the Jewish football players don't have Jewish kids, like, what hope is there for the people? Like, Hitler won. If the uh, Schwartz oh, brothers don't no. produce little Jews. No I, pressure. I, no, I've, n- I've never been really asked that. Uh, my son's two. He's been going to the JCC preschool for a year now. His name so, is Chaim. No, it's not. It's not. <laughs> um, but so Judaism is a is a part of our lives. Uh, my wife enjoys Judaism. I've taken her to obviously the high holidays and other other things, and she enjoys it. So uh, we are raising our Which kids. Is more Jewish. than everyone else, because no one actually enjoys it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I love, um, by the way, if that if your son wants to rebel against the family tradition, he will go and become like a lawyer or a doctor <laughs> 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 to upset dad and uncle. Yeah, um, it's great. So what about within the NFL from all of the overwhelmingly Gentile teammates? Like, how do they view Judaism? I mean, is there so is there misunderstandings we, there? Oh, is there anti-Semitism? Is there, uh, is not, there reverence? Like, oh, man, you're from, like, the chosen people. Like, what, no. what's, the, what's the feeling? <laughs> not, definitely not that. Because I've written segment. about how Christian the NFL is. Like, I've done it journalism is, yes. on, like, there's so much athletes in action and Bible study. Yeah. And it's like a oh, pretty Jesus-y no, place. It is. And it's okay with me. Um, you know, some teammates... Uh, don't care. Some teammates tell me I'm the first Jew that they've met. I'm sure that's not true, but maybe the first Jew who like talks about being Jewish. So I have teammates that are curious. They ask me questions. We talk about it. We're very closely related to other religions. I, you know, I mean, obviously the Messiah thing is a little different, but uh, it's that's not the deal breaker. Yeah, we're we're the OGs. The, like we yeah, invented this stuff. Exactly. That's... So most guys are pretty cool about it. And yes, the you know we, the Lord's Prayer and is said you know before and after games. Or no, I've never really had an issue with it. I don't. I don't. I take a knee bow my head I don't have to you know repeat it or, or say it I just but be, why I'm is there respectful. so much religion in the NFL like why are what do they really think God like once do they think God is invested in the outcome of Lions Browns I mean, you I know, mean th- that's one difference I think in Judaism is we don't really live that way like we don't you know obviously God is around us but we're not you know we're not our daily decisions are not influenced by right we don't think power, he's interceding say, in right, daily and, affairs and some guys believe that yeah so maybe they believe that that I mean obviously like we're saying a prayer in our locker room the same prayer is being said in other locker rooms. So, you know, obviously. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, though. Here's the thing, though. Like I told you about getting to, like, a place where you have to play the game. If that's what it takes for, for a guy to play the, in the NFL and play that game, then good for him. Especially if he's on your team. Yeah, exactly. Right. So I've no, I've never had a problem with it. I've had some guys make, in college, it's in the book, uh, some guys make some comments that weren't appropriate. I don't think they realized. Like, I, a kid made a... A joke about Jews burning in the oven. I kind of had to tell him, like, we, you know, that's we don't we don't talk like, about. Dude, no. We don't do that. That's yeah. actually not cool. Yeah, we, we don't <laughs> we don't we don't do that. So that's really about it. It's not been bad. Most own, by the way, there's more Jewish owners than players. Just, I had a trainer. I had a trainer tell me that almost every day. He's like, you know, Schwartz, you should be owning the team, not playing for it. <laughs> Is so that speak- your plan for retirement? Is that what you're no, gonna do? I no. was just gonna ask. I, that. Football players seem that they become coaches, commentators, or they own beer distributorships. Which is your path? Or are you gonna commentator? S- hopefully. Oh yeah, really? it's very great. It's very hard to get into it. Uh, I'm working on it uh, now. I have an agent for that. 
I have two agents, one for football, one for entertainment uh, or broadcasting. So it's just well, it's we hard would to love you in. for the Super Bowl to come and do an unorthodox uh, live uh, rendering of watching the game and explaining things to yeah, us. Yeah, we'll have you back. We, we you can, can do that. T- we, you can be. Do you guys go to the Super Bowl? I'll be there in Houston. Can you hook us up? What do you mean? Can I don't you get go, us some tickets. <laughs> I mean, we'll be there if you can get us tickets. Yeah. Well, yeah, they're not free. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So final question, uh, all the Jewish mothers out there, our podcast is overwhelming. Most Jewish mothers in America listen to this podcast. I'm sure they do. I mean, the, the, actually, we're at about 70% of Jewish mothers. Some of them have sons who are now like, I want to be, be Jeff or Mitch Schwartz when I grow yeah. up, mom. And the mom's like, no, I read in the New York Times. that will give you concussions. And what do you, as a intellectually adept, you've still got your marbles, you've probably concussed. You think I do. We think you do. How many times have you been concussed? Uh, never. Never. So what's the message out there? Like, what is, what is the takeaway? Um, Couple things. So, so they let their kids play. I don't. I personally don't worry about CT that much because I'm playing. I'm in the game. I know my wife does, and uh, obviously my mom does. Um, I think that it is. You can get CT from playing. Obviously, I think it's been proven. CT that is is that's what they call like concussive trauma or something. I don't know the name. Whatever of it, it is, but that's that's what they call the injury from from getting your head beaten essentially. Right. Um, I think that. In general, there's more stories about guys excelling after football than there are about CTE, but that's obviously been a big subject, and there needs to be some sort of thing done about that. But there's a lot of guys that succeed after football, and that maybe should be highlighted a little bit more, and I hope to be one of those guys. Um, But you never know. Um, My job has afforded my family a good life, so that's kind of the trade-off. I mean, I've had six surgeries in the NFL. My body's a little beat up, so, I mean, that's the trade-off. The trade-off is that my... Family is going to be set up. All right. Well, we're going to interview you in 40 years, and we hope you're as articulate as you are today. Yeah, I could do that. <laughs> All right. Jeff Schwartz is one half of the Fighting Schwartz brothers, the first Jewish brother pair to play in the NFL in about a century. There was, a, there was another pair, right? 1923. Who were they? The Kaplan brothers. If you read the book, you the know. Gold, the Goldfarb brothers. They were like the whole, something with, they had changed if their name read, from Horowitz if, to something else. If you read the right. book, you'll know. Okay. <laughs> so if you want to find out who the first fighting Jewish NFL brothers were, before it was the NFL, uh, you have to buy their book, Eat My Schwartz, Our Story of NFL Football, Food, Family, and Faith, on sale at Amazon, bricks and mortar stores, and the concession stands at a stadium near you. Broadway comes to the 14th Street Y on Tuesday, May 21st. Join us at 7 p.m. for a conversation with cast members from Prayer for the French Republic, the Tony Award-nominated Best Play. Tony nominee Betsy Adam and fellow cast members Francis Benhamu, Ethan Haberfield, and Ari Brand will take part in a lively discussion moderated by the New York Times' Mark Tracy. They'll talk about the play's themes of Jewish identity, French culture, and Zionism in times of rising anti-Semitism. This event is part of 14Y's spring season of Jewish culture. As a Jewish community center, 14Y offers a variety of opportunities for people to discover, explore, and connect with Jewish life. Visit 14streetwide.org to learn more and purchase tickets to Broadway at 14Y. Our Gentile of the Week is Patricia Fitzpatrick. Patricia, or should I say Ms. Fitzpatrick? I will say Ms. Fitzpatrick, is the founder and president of the Etiquette School of New York. She's certified in etiquette and international protocol. And in adult and corporate etiquette by the Protocol School of Washington, she's worked for Estee Lauder and Bergdorf Goodman. She is quite simply one of our city's go-to people when there are questions of etiquette, manners, and so forth. Patricia, thank you for joining us. You're quite welcome. It's a pleasure to be with you. Before we even begin, I'm sorry, Mark, to interrupt. I just have to no, ask please. a question about certification. What's what's the what's the etiquette board like? Uh, the people who certified me, they're the most prestigious etiquette certifying organization really in the world. One of the few to have the credentials certified for an etiquette school. They work with people literally all over the globe. Are they like so hardcore that if you like, you know, fail to raise your pinky while drinking tea, they would just kick you out of the club? Oh, actually, if you raised your pinky, they would kick you, they would kick you out of the club because that is a faux pas. She shows you how much I know. We uh. need your help. <laughs> but here's what's the test like? I want to know what the test is like. I mean, when, when you go for your final certification, what yes. do you have to do? 
what one has to do is know how to properly conduct oneself in the business and social arenas, being able to make polite conversation, know how to introduce people properly, whether in this country or other countries, uh, being able to dine uh, without embarrassing oneself or anyone else at the table, which means knowing how to hold a knife and fork and the niceties of eating with your mouth closed, knowing how to use your napkin. Knowing which direction the uh, styrofoam container of the Big Mac needs to be opened. Is it to the left or to the right? We didn't deal with Big Macs. <laughs> <laughs> they do now. The latest version, the 2016 let's iteration. Say a, let's say you're having um, you know, a, a Hanukkah feast, dinner, or, or any of your holidays, Thanksgiving, uh, Christmas for me, when you have 20 people at the table... Um, yes, knowing how to pass everything is if it passed in the right direction, you have to you know run into each other. I have to say I'm sitting up much straighter than usual since you got on the phone. Like I, I'm, I'm really trying right now. What is, I'm so happy I have that effect on you. I, I know. Just hearing your voice, I'm just like, wait, am I doing everything right? Um, so I imagine manners are manners and etiquette are have never been more important. And I want to say like lacking from the younger generations for whom cell phones and and you know constant distractions are pretty common. What is the worst offense you've seen lately from, you know, young people? What's the thing that you're, you're seeing most often? I would say that, that, that and this kind of involves everything they do, that they're, they're almost mindless of others. <laughs> like walking down the street, holding a cell phone, not even realizing who they're walking into type of thing. Right, right. And, and being um, just, just so, I, don't, I hate to say egocentric because they're not all that way, but it's definitely a less empathic and more narcissistic generation. Um, so in everything they do, even in conversation, not making eye contact with another person, uh, which is how we show respect and show that we're listening to them, uh, is something they have trouble doing. Uh, like you said, walking down the street with their with their cell phone and, and you know, not realizing that people are trying to pass them, um, as well as doing that when they're sitting with another person, texting. So when you teach classes at the etiquette school, do you ever have, I mean, wh- wh- how do you work with young people on those things? You know, the rules of etiquette are, I mean, they do evolve to adapt to the times, but what does not evolve is basic manners, and that's treating people with kindness, consideration, and respect. So I teach college freshmen, and here's a question that comes up a lot. They always want to know what to call me, and I actually don't mind. They want to know what? They want to know what to call me. Should they call me professor? Should they call me doctor? Should they call me mister? Should they call me hey you? And right. it has occurred to me that at different schools and places, there are different um, there are different protocols for that, right? I mean, there are now companies where every day is casual Friday and where you call the CEO Mark or Sergey or Bob or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, do you have a preference or is it just that titles should reflect whatever the person wants to be called? Is there anything beyond just you want to make the person feel comfortable? Well, number one, you should call a person what they want to be called by. Um, And I would think that at the beginning of each semester, you would introduce yourself the way you'd like to be addressed by the student. I did. Oh, Uh, good. I did the right thing. Yes. Okay. And I would say that um, many schools are on a first-name basis. I mean, the teachers are on a first-name basis. And I always ask the students, at your school, do you call your teachers by their first names or by their last names? Um, the problem comes, especially in college, when they're used to calling their, their professors, their teachers by their first names, they get out into, the, let's say, the real world, <laughs> and they think that everyone they meet uh, when they're interviewing or when they start working is going to be on a first-name basis, and that's not the case. So it's almost doing them a disservice by being so casual, um, mm-hmm. unless, of course, we, we tell them that when you get out of school, always address someone you meet for the first time, especially when you're interviewing, if it's someone older, um, by their title, whether it's Mr., Ms. for women in business or doctor. When someone's a doctor, they should always be addressed as a doctor. That should be their honorific. When I got to college, I realized that I, my whole life, had been calling my friends' parents by their first names. Um, I went to school in the South, grew up outside New York. And all my friends called their parents like Mr. and Mrs. And I was so surprised and it sounded so nice. Is that? Well, I always called my best friend's um, mother always by her last name. And in fact, when I, you know, saw her when I was much older, (laughs) it was still hard for me to call her by her first name because I had always called her Mrs. Flanagan and not Janice. 
You know, it depends on where you grow up. Outside the United States, many cultures, many countries, especially in Europe, you would never call an adult by their, their first name. Uh, a young person wouldn't. And also, when even in the workforce, they would always address their superiors, senior executives by their titles, Mr. Ms., and never first name. But, you know, some of these things, as you say, are cultural in the other direction, right? They're cultures mm-hmm. that are more polite. They're also cultures we might say, as a Jewish podcast, in which if you fly the national airlines of certain um, Jewishly populated countries, there's a lot more pushing and shoving. Uh, some would say that in certain... It's impolite not to push and shove. Right. I mean, if you fly LL, uh, if you, there, there are certain communities, there are neighborhoods in Brooklyn where there's a little more brusqueness than elsewhere. Does it become okay by virtue of the fact that those are the norms of the neighborhood or the airline? Well, within reason. <laughs> Clearly, you've never flown a all before. That's a tricky question. <laughs> I do know. Here's what I advise my. I, I mean, I work with many business people, and I say ignorance is not an excuse when you go to another country. In other words, you have to study their culture a bit before you go because you don't even know when you're making a mistake or in, um, or insulting them or embarrassing yourself. So you have to learn a little bit about their culture. Um, I, and I think even in China, they like to push. They don't. They don't wait online. They don't queue up like we do here. When you see a gross, you know, just sort of something really uncouth or really impolite happening, what's the proper response to it? Because you obviously can't, you know, tell someone who's not in a class of yours. Like, how do you deal with that? That's exactly. You said it exactly. <laughs> I, unless, you know, to put it bluntly, unless someone's paying me to correct them and to teach them good manners and etiquette. It would be more rude of me to correct them than for the behavior they're exhibiting. Could anyone be corrected, or do you believe that there are some people who are beyond help? I'd like to give everybody the benefit of the doubt. I think probably it's either ignorance, which meaning they they were never taught. You know, and that's the thing too. It's an indication of one's background, one's socioeconomic background, and it doesn't mean you have to have money to have good manners. That has nothing to do with it, because as we know, a lot of people with money don't have good manners. Tell us about it. Uh, Ms. Fitzpatrick, this has been enlightening. Uh, before we take our leave of you, you have before you a panel of Jewish experts uh, certified. As you've been certified in protocol, we've been certified by in— By the elders of uh, Zion. By the elders of Zion in in, in the, dispense, the dispersing of Jewish uh, wisdom. Do you have any questions for us about Judaism or Jewish culture that we could help you with? Yes, I did have a question. I, I haven't often been to a synagogue, but every now and then there's an opportunity, and I want to know how a non-Jewish— person to conduct oneself. Well, first of all, I think most uh, most American Jews also haven't really been to a synagogue ever, so you're in <laughs> very good company. Um, I, I would say that the rule for that should probably be the same principle that applies in the, the, the popular spinning class soul cycle. Uh, <laughs> if, if you're one of the true believers, you sit in the front row and you do everything the instructor says. If you're like me and you're a pathetic middle-aged overweight man, you just sit all the way in the back. You clearly don't belong here. You can enjoy the music and you could sort of do some of the motions, but you're clearly not of here. I think that's more or less the case. Just don't just don't get too close. Just don't do anything that seems to, you know, involved. So be seen and not heard. I mean, I've gone to services with my non-Jewish friends a lot, and I find it really an interesting experiment to sort of figure out how to be comfortable in that environment and also not to do anything that you're not supposed to do, like, you know, not going up for mass or, you know, not, I mean, right. for communion. Um, don't take communion. Yeah, like the big Don't confess. Right, that's right. If you're in sort of like an egalitarian reformer conservative, not, you know, not the super religious stuff, which I think you would sort of stick out a little more, even if you weren't of that level of observance, not, not even right. if you're Jewish or not, I think in sort of the less uh, religious temples and synagogues, I think you'd get away with just sort of like sitting quietly, um, trying to keep, have having the book open, trying to keep up, keep up with where everyone is. They usually say what page you're on. So, you know, you can, you can, can sort of stay on top of it. You don't have to know all the words to all the songs, obviously. And I think a lot of, you know, if, if anyone who doesn't go every week won't know all the words to all the songs. But I think it's a pretty welcoming place for someone who isn't Jewish, I would say. Also, Miss Fitzpatrick, I, I think we would really, we would have no problem picking you up uh, as as the non-Jew because you would be the only person in synagogue not talking during services. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually going to give you a some real helpful hints. There's some real nitty gritty, the kind of things that you teach, like at your adult dining class, where people want to know uh-huh. how exactly do we do this, right? So, number one, 
don't eat first because there are, I, I'm just thinking of what some Gentile friends of mine have gotten wrong, right? You don't mm-hmm. eat until after certain prayers have been said. So don't ever eat first, even if you are the first in line and it all seems, you know, all set. Uh, just mm-hmm. wait. Okay, that's number one. Number two, you can never go wrong wearing a hat. If you're in a really religious uh, synagogue, it will be expected of you, but you won't, it won't be held against you anywhere. So uh-huh. time, to bust, time to bust out the hat. And number right. three, the correct response when someone says Shabbat Shalom is to repeat the exact same thing back at them. So they say uh-huh. Shabbat Shalom, you say Shabbat Shalom. That one has driven Gentile friends around the bend. Someone says Shabbat Shalom to them, they assume it's like Assalamu Alaikum, Wa Alaikum Salam. They think there's some like <laughs> non-equivalent or different rejoinder. It's just repeat it back to them. Mark, that nod. is such great Jewish wisdom. That's true of everything yeah. else any Jew ever says to you. What's wrong with you? What's wrong right. with you? What's wrong with you? That's right. Um, Ms. Fitzpatrick, thank you so much for being our Gentile of the Week. It's been a real pleasure. Oh, you're and welcome. we would encourage people to sign up for your classes, which are, are held regularly in New York City, yes? Yes, they are. All right. What's your website? Do you have a website? I do. It's etiquette-ny.com. All right. We're all going to go there because we surely need it. Thanks so much. Oh, thank you. You're quite welcome. It's a pleasure. J. Crew, it is time for some pod biz. Tonight, May 16th, I will be moderating a Zoom conversation with Rabbi Sharon Browse and Shai Held about each of their new books. That's at 6 p.m. Eastern and the final event in my Unpacking the Book series with the Jewish Book Council and the Jewish Museum. This one's on Zoom, so no matter where you are, I hope you can make it. And tonight is actually a doubleheader for me. If you're in the New York area, I'll be at the Marlene Meyerson JCC Manhattan at 7.30 tonight in conversation with Israeli rapper and singer Jimbo J. He'll be performing and there will be delicious Israeli food from Chef Mushka, who made the famous Horosets at our Passover pop-up. You can find links to register for both of those events at tabletmag.com slash unorthodoxlive. We also have some great events coming up for Tablet members in person and on Zoom. On May 16th, Catherine Wolf will be in conversation with Jews who refuse to back down against hostile crowds in various arenas, from municipal buildings, school board meetings, and of course, college campuses. She'll be talking with Club Z's Masha Merkalova, Safe CUNY's Avraham Goldstein, Attorney John Kovac, Mel Waldorf, Steve Goldberg, and UNC Chapel Hill student Daniel Stumpel. Also coming up, a warm and intimate Zoom for those who have lost friendships since October 7th. That's on May 21st and will be a great chance to connect and meet new people. And on May 30th, an in-person tablet meetup in Washington, D.C., hosted by Tablet's executive editor Wayne Hoffman and Catherine Wolf. That'll be at Charbar at 6 p.m. You can become a Tablet member at tabletm.ag slash UO member and get more information about all of these events. Okay, back to the show. A little more from the mailbox. A lot of our readers uh, were intrigued by our discussion with Thomas Chatterton Williams about whether or not Jews are white. Some of them took it really, really literally, and they wrote to us, and they were like, take a look at yourselves. You're very white, or you're pink, or you're peach. Here's a few of the responses. Robert Marcus wrote in, Semites are probably Caucasian, but our DNA has been corrupted by rapes, miscegenation, and assimilation. New? Like Joseph's coat, out of many subtle hues, from fairest rose to ebony, all in splendid harmony. Zedek, justice, you must pursue. Slightly rambling. Liam Hemsworth (laughs) said that. (laughs) But entirely welcome one. Somebody sent us a a kind of poem. It's like a sort of, I don't know if it's sort of haiku-like, but longer. He writes, Dear Unorthodox, are all Christians white? Are all Muslims people of color? Are all Asians Buddhists? Jews come in different races, etc. Yours, Gloria Klein. Thanks, Gloria. (laughs) (laughs) And then um, on a totally different note, we got this lovely letter. Hi, Unorthodox. I'm a 20-year-old college student in Chicago. I was living in Chicago's Lakeview neighborhood. Lots of shuls and Jews and kosher food. I was keeping Shabbat, studying Talmud and Torah a few nights a week, running shit at Hillel and interning at the Federation. Then I unexpectedly had to return home to rural Virginia for the summer, where there's less than 40 Jewish families in a county of nearly 70,000 people. Your podcast meant so much to me this summer. I would listen occasionally throughout the school year, but I didn't realize how much it meant to me until I was out here in bumfuck nowhere for three months. The humor, news, running jokes, quirks, and overall Jewishness of 
the podcast made me feel like I was still part of the Jewish people, even though I felt so removed from my community back in Lakeview. I look forward to it every Friday, and I can truly say it was one of the things that helped me stay afloat during a difficult summer. Thank you, Liel, Stephanie, and Mark. Thank you so, so much. Yours, Abby Seitz. I just want to say... When I was reading this, I thought, I wonder if you're offending all of your neighbors in East Bumfuck Gentile Land. And then I realized they're not listening to the podcast. So you're, you're totally so fine. So screw them. So screw them. Fuck you, people, um, rural Virginia. <laughs> we got nothing to do with you. Nothing. You hear? You. you go just vote for Governor Kane. Uh, mazel tovs of the week? I don't have a mazel tov, but I do have a farewell. A children's book author uh, who I greatly, whose work I greatly liked, died at a very young age this week, uh, Anna Dudney, whose name I hope I'm pronouncing correctly. And if you have small children, and if you've ever read to them the Lama Lama series, um, which she had written, I think you could feel the presence of a great spirit, uh, the presence of great joy, and may her memory be a blessing. Amen to that. Anna Dudney was, and she died at, what, 52 50, or something? 50. Ugh. Just horrible. Brain tumor. Stephanie? I have a welcome to the world to my cousin's baby, the first of the next generation of Butniks, um, Elizabeth Liliana Butnik. She is really, really cute and really awesome, and I'm so excited. And it's like one of those like generation to generation things. I feel it. I feel that way. Le Dorvador. Yeah. In the Le words Dorvador. of the great Katy Perry, <laughs> may the Butniks go forth and multiply. <laughs> And my mazel tov is to my sister, Rachel, on her 28th birthday. Happy birthday, baby sister. And also to daughter, Rebecca, who had her first assist in her first game of soccer ever. Uh, she started playing soccer this week with a terrific uh, little under-12 team in New Haven. And she had a fun time on the first day. Of course, Called I don't what? let her the, listen to The this. New Haven Crushers? The New Haven well, Funny you should ask. They don't have a team name. And somebody on the team wanted them to be like the New Haven Spider-Men. And that was vetoed. And it's an ongoing negotiation. Right now, they're just New Haven under 12. So <laughs> The under you know, 12s. We'll, we'll see. Unorthodox is brought to you by Tablet Magazine on the web at tabletmag.com. It is edited by Shoshi Shmulevitz and produced by Alyssa Goldstein and Shira Tolushkin. Rabbinic supervision by Nancy Geiger, Robin Winning, Jane Lippo, Elizabeth Lowe, Annette Chirac, Stan Levinson, Sharon Litwin, and Atara Margolis, who all gave generously to our show. We are so, so grateful, but we wonder, why did no men give us money this week? Why is it all female donors? What's going on? It's directed to the Leal Leibovitz Fund. That's right. Men, to, you or, have some mansplanation to do. That's right. Meanwhile, the women just want to pay you to read hummus recipes in your hot accent. Uh, kosher slaughtering this week is by WikiLeaks, of course. Uh, follow Tablet on Facebook or on Twitter. We're at Tablet Mag. Our music is by Golem, and we record at the plush Argo Studios in New York City. Shalom, friends. <laughs>